to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery, with me... Hi, um, wait, what? No, Roger Hart. <laughs> Words, noises. Uh, Lucy boys, I'm surrounded by comedians today. Comedians, what have you been reading? Lucy, go first. Interiori, and that's it. And what's Interiori? It's a thing about a big rabbit. I think you can be more specific. It's a comic about a big rabbit. I think there's more to it than that. It's a comic about a big rabbit, which represents the um, some kind of Native American link between the great spirituality and the human world, which ends up hanging out in an apartment block in Italy. Specific enough? Broadly. We'll come back to it later, because it kind of ties into our topic for the t- today. Today. Oh, right. Okay, good. Heart, what are you even reading? Um, I have been reading um, Blue is the Warmest Colour. Who's that by? It's by um, Julie Marrow. Marrow? I'm I'm not sure. M-A-R-O-H, I think. Um, And it was originally published in... She's French. It was originally published in France um, under the title Blue Angel, I think. Or maybe that was the title of the movie they made about it. Either way, it's recently taken um, an award. Palm d'Or, I think. Um... But yes, that is a... It's a kind of teenage, coming-of-age, coming-out lesbian romance story, which sounds blearily cliched, but it's it's actually really quite nicely articulated, um, although it does have some weird problems towards the end. Um, do you want me to get into this, or do you want um, to talk about it later? <coughs> or No, no, we can get into this. So... Um, it's the, um, story of, it's, there's this, uh, the girl, a, a sort of, uh, high school sophomore, um, over a couple of years as she, um, as she discovers her attraction to this, um, this sort of striking, slightly older blue-haired girl, Emma, um, and the early stage of their relationship. It's partly told through her, um, through her diaries, it's partly told through remembrance, it's kind of set after the fact, so it opens with Emma, her girlfriend, coming to her parents' house to collect her diaries um, after her funeral, um, which is stark and really sad, and the colour palette works beautifully. It's, it's drawn a little bit like the way um, Hannah Berry drew Britain Blue Lightly, with those kind of soft, um, very muted colours, but the, the facial and character design is a lot more ang- angular, it's a lot more crisp. It doesn't have that kind of facial and sort of period sepia softness, but it, is, it does have that sort of similar muted, painty palette. Um, with these occasional flashes of blue for, for Emma's hair, which is a gimmick that thankfully stops because it was getting kind of tiresome. There's a kind of, oh look, there's only one touch of bright colour here and it's the striking hair that attracted, um, I think it's Clementine, Celine, something like that's attention. Um, and it's it's the story of how they gradually get together and various things come to a head and it sort of disconnects two thirds of the way through as she ends up getting thrown out by by her family and moving in with with Emma, um, and then it sort of suddenly leaps forward to her thirties, and then leaps forward a little bit further to um, to her death and it just have you both read the Bell Jar? Yes. No, because I'm a terrible human being. Oh, fair enough. Um, Either that, or you've just ever been a miserable fifteen year old girl. Unlike me, Mr. Hart. Yeah, I, well, I it was like a work experience thing. I put in two weeks as a miserable 15-year-old girl when I was 12. Yeah. Um, and then, so it, it, as with 
as with the bell jar, I, I might be allowed to... Did, did you like the bell jar? Am I allowed to slag it off? You're allowed to slag it off. I liked it, but not unproblematically. Good. That's that's pretty much where I'm sitting. Um, there's this problem with the bell jar, which is that maybe it, it, it does lend a certain ambiguity and it. it's not a valueless issue, but there is very little sense of how you got from there to here. So mm-hmm. um, it is told to us by the elder, Esther, um, with a little bit of self-awareness and realisation and absolutely zero sense of how she got from where mm-hmm. she was to where she is. And I found the disconnect profoundly jarring, and I found it made particularly the latter stage of the book where structurally you expect it to wind up towards the present day, whereas it merely kind of skips and jitters. Um, I found that made it really kind of kind of tough going. I there's was... also the kind of there's the the sort of the obviousness of that as a device in that hmm. it ends with her fate being decided before she knows what it is. It ends with her going into the room full of people who are going to tell her if she's going to be free or not. It yeah. ends with not knowing how you get from there to the next yeah. stage because it's all so arbitrary and it's decided by some hmm. sort of outside force. Yeah. I mean, I think at least some of that is on purpose. Um, yeah, and, but it's... and some of it is salient and some sure. of it works. This has the same problem, but let's be honest here, it's not as good as the bell jar. Um, and so when um, Clementine... I'm t- it's going to turn out I've got her name wrong. Um, I think it was Clementine. When, when it turns out that she has a has a heart condition, it's been exacerbated by, I think, some kind of drug dependence that appears to have come out of nowhere in the, in the sort of 15-year lacuna around what the fuck happened between getting kicked out by her parents and the sort of present-day vignettes. And I just it starts so well, it's beautiful, it's painful in places. I was I was sat reading it on a dreary Sunday afternoon in the rain when I was already in a bad mood, with a glass of wine and a lot of um clarinet jazz, and there was one moment where I had to try quite hard not to cry. And you know, it, it starts really really and yes, that was something I did to myself with all of the aforementioned nonsense. Mr Convery looks so sickened by me at this point. No, no, <coughs> not at all. Was um, it the comic or the clarinet jazz that took you to the edge? I think it was the comic, but it's hard to tell. Was it the comic Hang or on. the clarinet jazz that pulled you back? Which edge are we talking about? Sadness or orgasm? Reason. All three, it was weird. Mm. Must have been exhausting. Well, it was like, you know, cracking one off box huffing snuff. A crazy cry wank. Mm. A crank. A cranksy. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. So, yes, what's <laughs> I'm really glad we managed to claw that back from a genuinely serious conversation about Sylvia Plath into, oh, you know. God, there was no weird cry wank. Wanking. There was no cry wank. Stranger wank, danger wank. Any of the other varieties. There was no wanking. I'm acquainted with I was slowly making lamb casserole. (laughs) That's not a euphemism for beating off somehow. (laughs) It is absolutely not. (laughs) At least you're being tender about it. (laughs) For what Um, is self-love without tenderness? I was slow cooking the mutton. Um, (laughs) Fuck. It does sound... No. um, No, it does. Anyway, this this non-masturbatory experience... Wank chat. A lot of wank chat today. Um, so yeah, it was it was emotionally serious. It had plenty of punch. I did have the aforementioned lacrimose but non-masturbatory experience, and and then you it, didn't salt your casserole with your tears or anything else salty. Grand. And um, 
it. <laughs> Mr. Cumber is having convulsions. I'm just. Point. I'm considering at this point just chanting <laughs> something to warn ward you off. <laughs> Start reading the bell jar. It's got some good ideas for how to end the misery. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so it, it just sort of the comic almost. It almost gave up. It had this tremendous punch at the beginning, um, even through the fact that it was knowingly quite adolescent about some of it, and just. Mm. Was it that sort of sad balloon deflate you get at the end of things where the person making it doesn't quite know what to do with the pacing? I think so. I think it needed, it just needed tightening up and tweaking a bit and it is very good and I'd be fascinated to see what the film does because you can't have that structural problem and get to screen and win awards. Mm. Um, it also reminded me, so I, I spent a while a couple of years ago watching my way through a lot of queer cinema partly to try and understand whether it was any good. Um, partly it, to understand yourself? Only a little. Um, and um, it reminded me tremendously of there's a oh god there's a French film and what is the damn thing called um, it might be Prescolien um, which is it's a similar sort of memory recovery narrative set around a well, I think it's a suicide but had quite a similar actually quite a similar structure the French are into that stuff mm. I've watched a couple of those myself mm. it, it is good I would recommend it brace yourself for slightly problematic pacing and, and a little bit of a flop at the end in spite of your, I think, <coughs> just discussion of its criticisms, I very much want to read it and would like you to lend it to me. I will happily lend it to you. If there's a sad lesbian comic, I'm all over that shit. Oh, yeah. I'll make Lancaster off, it's good. Good. Mr. Comfrey, what have you been reading? Is it something that doesn't make you sad like us? Yeah, so I don't think that I can necessarily relate much of this back to... French cinema, because I've been reading Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> well, what about the works of Sylvia Plath? Uh, there's a bit of Plath in there. Mm. Um, particularly The Invisible Car, which I think is a re recurring uh, piece of symbolism in in, uh, in Plath's work. And also she had quite regular team-ups with Captain America and the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. um, which explains a lot about Ted Hughes's weird collection, Red Skull. So I've been reading, yeah, I've been reading Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, or Nick, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, because they've just reissued the, the 60s story that Jim Stranko worked on, and it's quite hard reading, because it's 60s Marvel, and it's quite blustery in its writing. Mm. It's a little bit, um, I'm going to say blustery, and by blustery I mean crude, Occasionally racist, frequently sexist, and broadly daft. Um, but it's also the fun sort of daft. And the reason I've been reading it again now is that it, it got reissued about 15 years ago. And they recoloured the entire book and did this sort of smeary late 90s, early 2000s, everything in Photoshop, gradient-filled, shiny muscles and nonsense colouring. And this uh, new re release has replaced it with the original colouring, which is great because it looks much, much better. Hmm. So it's definitely something to buy for the artwork. Um, if you've ever heard Jim Stranko interviewed or follow him on Twitter, he is not shy of explaining just how good he is as an artist and, frankly, how good he is at absolutely everything <laughs> and, quite frankly, how he'll fight you and win. I, I, I had heard that the man is, um, is a little forthright. He is a, uh, he's a fucking lunatic. He's a fighty winner. There's nothing wrong with that. He is. He sleeps two hours a night, apparently. He walks his dog up a mountain. He's 80-something. He's he's 
Crazy, he'll live forever. He's going to outlast us all. Does he talk about himself in the third person on the internet? Because that no. would be that would be that would that make would it perfect. Crime. But no, he talks he talks like a normal person. If all normal people were eighty-year-olds who want to tell you that they will fight you and they will win, will it be him and the cockroaches after our inevitable nuclear annihilation? I don't know if he'll survive nuclear attack, but I think that his teeth veneers will. Mm. They look fucking sturdy. Mm. They really do. Good. So if 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 you like classic comic book art, that's definitely worth a read. Anything else? Yes. And I'll tell you about it too. Um, uh, Walrus, which is uh, Brandon Graham's sketchbook, basically. Um, so if... I mean, you two only really know him from Profit, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think... Because he, he does so little of the art in that, I think this might be a bit of a, a shock, but it's much more like his King City and Multiple Warhead stuff. It's all of his own work and mm. little bits from his partner and from James Stokoe and related people that he's worked with in there. But it's, uh, again, it's just something to read for the art because there's no story there. It's just bits of design and him doing fan art of things, but it's really quite nice. He's an excellent artist. Red Battling Boy, which I spoke about on the site, so I won't mm. go into too much detail, but it's Paul Pope's first book in fucking ages. It does sound quite interesting. It's really good. It's a nice... Like, he basically got angry that there weren't enough kids' books um, mm. and decided to write one. And it's basically a sort of Jack Kirby-style uh, cosmic god-hero-type character brings his son down to this city that's being overrun by monsters and tells him to get on with things. Um... And it's basically the kid sort of figuring out. It's sort of him how how he grows up, and making his way in the world. And that's quite nice. Red Super Graphic, which is uh, what is what is a collection it? of infographics about mm. comics. That um, sounds like it could be really obnoxious if it wasn't careful. Ah, uh, so a lot of it's just taking the piss, which is. Probably Good. fine. Yeah, it's mm. by I think Tim Leong is the guy's name. He used to do the infographics for Wired. Right. But it's a combination of slightly groan-inducing jokes, which are fine. Like there's a a pie chart of Gotham City's uh, uh, Gotham City Police Department's utilities bill, which <laughs> of course is in the shape of the bat signal. Mm. Um, there's just lots of little stupid things like that. But what it's really good for is just gathering together really stupid facts about all the comics and reminding you of why they're fun. Mm. Just sort of stuff like gathering together uh, infographics on superhero versus supervillain colour schemes and how they map out. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Which is just um, yeah, a really good reminder of how much fun those old comics can be. So those are the, those are the broadly nice things I've read. I've also read The Black Project. Uh, oh, Gareth I do want Brooks. to read that. Which is uh, it's just just been published by Myriad Editions and it's faintly horrifying. Um, sort of early nineties suburban life and uh, it's basically one boy assembling a series of girlfriends out of craft materials, things he finds in a ditch. It's kind of like if no one had spoken to Adrian Mole for a couple of years oh god <laughs> I mean it's 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 sympathetic to someone who's quite strange he's never really given you know there's no analysis of, of what's wrong with him or we know that his brother died and his parents won't talk about it mm. um, 
and that he's become quite insular, um, finds it very hard to make friends. And he's sort of mapping his way through the sort of late childhood into his teenage years, and is doing so by building a series of girlfriends out of craft materials. Yes. And it's as cringeworthy and as creepy and interesting as that sounds. The entire thing is um, embroidery and liner cuts. Mm. So it looks different to anything else you're ever likely to see. Um, it's visually interesting, quite noisy a lot of the time, but it's it's definitely an interesting read. I think you probably know from the description of a book made of embroidery and lino cuts about a kid building a series of girlfriends for himself out of crap materials, whether or not that's something you want to read. Yeah. But as one I of those, absolutely do. it's a good one. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. After that, not much else. So today we're going to talk about, for want of a better term, sad people, sad white people with problems. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, th- I think we're we're uniquely qualified to talk about this. Um, well, yes, when we were uh, <laughs> considering the event. <laughs> yes. Yes, when we were considering making a comics event. We described it as three obviously depressed people trying to throw a party. <laughs> a which big is party. Pretty accurate, really. Mm. We're a cheerless, cheerless bunch. Broadly, yes. Mm. We yeah. have of late, whereof we know not, lost all Long our mirth. I told you I'd read Hamlet. That's from Withmail and I. You're a bastard. <laughs> I know Say that to wolves, Conroy. <laughs> Say it to wolves. I don't think you can. I don't think you can just uh, wander by the wolf enclosure at uh, London Zoo anymore, or Hyde Park, or wherever he is. Well, you, pro- you probably asked a zookeeper. I could ask a zookeeper if I wanted. You know, you've got a friend with domain knowledge of the zoo. Yes. Could ask Mostly her. about penguins. No, oh, is she a penguin specialist? Oh, that's that's. I've, I've seen her giving a talk on penguins. There's a lot of comics about this. Mm. A hell of a lot. And I think that's probably because a lot of cartoonists are sad white people in the suburbs. Is is the... Am I opening a can of worms to ask this? Is is, is the white bit salient or are we just mocking our own privilege with that? Uh, the, the latter. Good, good. Because um, I am not equipped to have any kind of meaningfully informed discussion on racial politics. In fact, my faculty for handling intersectionality is pretty bad. The fact that I can't think of any examples of this done by non-white creators or featuring non-white characters doesn't mean there aren't any. Yeah. Basically. Is my... That's my... But I think that would be... So... Late 20th century literature features a lot of people being sad in the suburbs. Mm. Features a lot of white people, too. Yeah. And I think comics have broadly uh, been brought along with that. Mm. Um, But when we were thinking of what to to cover, I sort of jokingly talked to Lucy about this and then realised... A lot of comics is just a lot of really acclaimed comics is people being depressed in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Well, like large swathes of American splendor, yeah. blankets, blankets, anything that Chris Ware ever mm. wrote, basically. Good God, yes. When it's not an anthropomorphized animal, but even then, I think the animals might represent people in the suburbs. Ghost World. That um, the whore dogs yeah, comic Daniel is. Close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whore dogs comic is that. That's that's anthropomorphic animals. But also known as the, the the lengths by Howard Hardy. Yes. Or the whore dogs comics, I'm sure. Uh, which I'm sure we'll come to because I kind of love it. Yeah. Also, he had a really nice jumper when we met him at Thought Bubble. 
I believe Chester, that is salient. Chester Brown saw a lot of prostitutes in the suburbs. But did he live in the suburbs, or did he just commute no, I think to he said had prostitutes? prostitutes coming to his place? Are the, are the suburbs important? Like, is it so? Is are we, are we talking? Are we in the general kind of urban alienation thing, or are we in yes. that kind of black box recorded dimension? I, where I you, think it's, it's I think urban it's, and suburban. It's mm. it's places where people live that aren't the really nice countryside. We have lots of dogs, and you can't be unhappy because you've got lots yeah. of dogs. Mm. So basically, the only thing we're excluding is Posey Simmons. Mm. Yeah, it's, it is basically comics to read while you listen to. British Racing Green by Black Book Recorder. Or clarinet jazz. Yeah. Mm. So, I think... A little cry wank in the suburbs. Where else does one cry wank? You learn to crank them out in the suburbs. Are we shortening it to that? Yeah. Are we not? Oh, I mean, that, that might be confusing, because it could be confused with... That sends a whole horrible spin on that vegetarian cookbook. I was going to say amphetamines, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Sorry, for once my wanking was ahead of my drug use. Do we do we want to get into, like... Oh, I don't know. Why, why do we think this theme is so common? Or People do surprise... People who make works which are published and critically acclaimed do quite often stick to the old triviality of writing what you know. Hmm. The kinds of people, broadly, people live in the suburbs. People who make art tend to be sad. People who make art are people, therefore they're sad and they live in the suburbs or have lived in the suburbs at some point. They write, their own experiences seep into what they write, even if it's not directly autobiographical. This is my hypothesis. I think there might have been an induction error in the middle, but that was quite a decent breakdown. I'm happy to make logical fallacies in my arguing, because I think the point stands. Mm. Yeah. Now, I, I, yeah, I mean, that kind of does sum up the core of it, and we could just, like, shuffle off and have some wine and let this stand, but... And a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. I don't know, I... So, in reading... You read you read a lot more of the sad comics than I do, but I sort of... I was thinking about this for this week, and I noticed this, this trope sort of popping up even in some places where you wouldn't expect it, so... One of the canonical examples, for me at least, of this sort of urban alienation sadness thing is the Tale of Two Cities vignette in um, Sandman. Mm -hmm. So it's in the World's End collection, where it's the sort of the faux Decameron style thing where they're all sitting around in the pub telling stories. Yeah. And most of those stories are kind of about... I mean, <clears throat> obviously they're all about the ways in which the particular characters have interacted with Dream, specifically the Endless, the mm -hmm. world of the Endless and all of that jazz. But there's this other thing going on. So it starts with the travelling salesman, which is this kind of protrusion of suburban ennui into pretty much wherever you choose to project it. Um, and he, they wash up at the inn, and the stories that get told, well, you start with the, the Tale of Two Cities, which is the guy who feels alienated from his world, wanders, has this little sort of suburban life, his office job, doesn't quite connect with the world, spends his day collecting these prized memories of little moments of urban life, and then one day ends up being sucked into what he realises is the dream of the city, in this horrifying scenario where he is in a shifting landscape of something never quite familiar. He knows the city intimately, and then when it takes it into, it takes him into its kind of unconscious or whatever we want to categorise it as, it the familiarity eludes him, and he is 
in a pathological version of his ability to experience these little moments, but it, it's uncertain, it's, it's well into the uncanny. Mm. And his ability to escape um, comes at the expense of the one piece of meaningful human contact he can make within this experience. And comes back into his life and finds himself changed and retreats to a Scottish island, and that's all a little bit cliche, actually. But it's... Um, this is a beautifully well put together analysis of sort of urban alienation from two sides. Mm -hmm. And then the next story, I think, is the one set in the necropolis. And again, that's a different type of urban habitation, um, a different type of reaction to urban spaces and sadness in them. Then there's the, th there's the sort of the sea shanty. Um, and I think one of the other stories is, again, it's, it's peculiar cities and peculiar experiences in cities. I'm just leafing through this. And look, this is. Obviously, it's, it's an incredibly powerful sort of moment and motif and does seem to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. I, so I think part of my worry with focusing on this as a universal thing is one of filter bubbles. I, mm. I personally very much seek out this kind of thing. This is exactly the kind of comics that I like. I'm going to be drawn to them when they're made. I'm going to look for things which look like them. And if they're not like them, I'm going to be disappointed when the thing I saw isn't what I thought it was actually going to be. And I spent a large chunk of my life being very unhappy in the suburbs. I, I, it resonates with me. It's not an experience which resonates with everyone. And I assume there are a lot of people who find this shit totally insufferable and self-indulgent. So I, I don't go looking for it, which is partly why I think I was surprised when I found so much of it on my shelves. Mm. I think it's a very, very visible strata of, of independent comics, certainly. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I, I read a, probably a bigger mix of of uh, comics everyone else here I, I read a lot more superhero stuff and it doesn't filter into that but it's still recognisably a good chunk of indie comics to me you I could think. make a case for there being some of it in the current Hawkeye yeah it'd be a stretch but not a snap yeah mm. but then but then you have something like Interiore which is mm. very much like that because this I mean it I think we spoke about it before on here but it's uh, it's basically about alienation in urban environments um and it's it's sort of the main the sort of main character this rabbit is sort of flitting between people's lives in this tower block and feeding back their their dreams and nightmares to this sort of lurking presence in the basement and it's it's essentially it's it's not entirely dark but it's it's basically about them trying to sort of shift out of patterns of boredom and frustration in urban living hmm. I mean the first thing that occurred to me when I read it this week was is there a thesis between this and Fluffy on the use of rabbit symbolism in Italian alienation but I don't think there is is Fluffy Italian? they go to Italy uh, in the end and Fluffy sorry? Simone Lear oh, uh, right, the right, thing right, right. she did before she did uh, Dear God Find Me a Husband right I haven't read either of those shamefully it's okay, I've got one in work, people keep commenting on it. It's mm. not the one about the rabbit. Oh, right, yes. I can see lots of slightly confused remarks about that. Mm. I mean, I am desperate for a husband. If anybody out there can find me one, I'd, I'd very much like that. That's not at all true. No, I, I don't think that's going to end well. But I think, sorry, getting back to the, sort of the prevalence note idea, probably a lot of it comes from the fact that a lot of the, com the comic artists who are currently successful grew up in the 60s and 70s and the sort of suburban sprawl is mm. very much a post-World War Two mm. thing massive expansion, massive economic expansion and suddenly you've got this new weird way of living and people are 
the curtain the twitching for the first time ever. The interwar promise of Metroland has turned out to be much, much less exotic and exciting in countryside as it was sold by those lovely posters on the tube. I can't hear that phrase without thinking of the shit theme park at the Metro Centre. <laughs> Elaborate. How bad is this theme park? Oh, God. Well, have you been to the Metro Centre? I have not, no. It's it's like it, it's the first mega shopping centre and it's it dingy as fuck. It's got these themed areas, so one of them is like a nasty plastic Italian village with a little taverna. It's it's harrowing. I really need to go to this place. Um, and then part of it sort of juts out the side. I think you might tear of... off your skin if you went to this place. <laughs> no, but I love that shit, that horrible shit. And then there's this this toothless roller coaster packed up against the roof, um, a, a, a grimy Ferris wheel, and it's next to the food court, so you can constantly smell decaying Burger King. It's, it's, it's harrowing. Uh, excuse me, I am going outside to my conveyance and driving to the north forthwith. <laughs> does does this place have you know a shit superhero character, perhaps? Like in one of those big foam suits, like a football mascot. Metro Man? No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Metro Center Man? No. Captain Metro? No. Captain Metro Center? <laughs> Metroid? Copyright Nintendo. Apologies, Nintendo. Sorry, Nintendo. Should you be listening to this nonsense? I once got very lost in the Metro Center when I was quite drunk with my dad, and we ended up seeing a Harry Potter film by accident. Was your dad also quite drunk? Yeah. How is Harry Potter when you're pissed with an air of paternal antipathy? It's confusing. You should be grateful. He doesn't even have a dad. He got killed by Voldemort. I think I think we're really struggling to talk about this with any coherence because... It's too big and sprawling yeah. in itself yeah. as a concept. We thought that it was going to be a little thing that would be easy mm. to talk about, whereas it turns mm. out that... It's kind of like feminism... Basically, all of the big, all of the big um, independent artists, certainly like the most acclaimed ones, like Chris Ware, Dan Close, mm. uh, Charles Burns, Craig people Thompson. like that. Yeah, they all write mm. about this, and that's probably because of the autobiographic nature. But it also mm. means uh, if you want to read about people being sad in a particular arrangement of housing, mm. you have options. So many options. So many good artists. I think Very true. As well, yeah, there's there is that kind of generality and inevitability. There's also an element to which, let's be honest, we haven't quite done our homework. We're drawing on less recent experience. Um, but I mean, also, there's for me, there is. This is very much within my universe. This is a thing of universality, and that the things I inevitably write end up being like this, mm. as well as the things that I choose to consume. This is. This is something of a constant in my life, and I don't know how that makes me feel. So is it just the commonality of experience that makes you go for and read? I think it's these sorts of books. It's no, it's the it's the it's the concept and the so this is this is actually sort of me unpacking what I like about sad comics more than anything. It is the concept and the thrill and the frisson of reading about someone else's sadness instead of my own. Yeah, you, you're right to make that face because it's fucking weird, but yeah. No, I can, I can. So that's also see. a reason to read them. Yeah, um, I can see a bit of that. They've got the primo misery. Yeah, mm. uh, there's the the wonderful comparative element. You know, is this person more or less miserable than I am or have ever been? Am I winning somehow at this game? Because really, it's all about winning. You should read a lot of Chris Ware. Yeah. Because his characters are really miserable. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the things in Supergraphic was just the uh, the Chris Ware sadnessometer. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, Going that's from sad cool. to incredibly sad. Oh, fuck. 
That is kind of cool. I've, I've seen... So, when I, when I looked at my looked at my shelves for, for this and was doing a little bit of flipping through and rereading and reminding myself, I also realised there's another kind of... It, it's just cities. Cities attract certain types of writing. Uh, particular types of cities as well. Um, this is this is not really for the podcast, but something I've noticed is that there are certain cities that accrete mythologies in a way that certain others don't. Mm. So London and Paris, and to a lesser extent New York, uh, Moscow perhaps. I mean, they tend to be the older cities, but it's also and like pre-existing cultural centres. But the amount London, of... Paris, and New York are also the only sort of cities that tend to be examined in a psychogeographic fashion. Yeah, I was going to say, and with the mythologies, they accrete a thick, swirling cloak of wankers in thick, swirling cloaks. Like it, the people poncing around London, pretending to be in netherware. It's is the any, answer sorry, to this that we this build up a mythos around Cleveland, for instance. Is that do we fix this by making the problem elsewhere? <laughs> I think Brian K. Vaughan tried that in The Escapists. He tried to. He basically uh, the first issue of The Escapists is about how great Cleveland is. The fun times in Cleveland again. Yes. But Are you I'm, familiar with those videos? I'm familiar with those videos. Yeah, you can put a link to them on the will, site so I'll that everybody can them. watch them. They're fucking brilliant. But I, I was more thinking that there are there are certain tones to writing about certain types of city that you see again and again. Mm. So while we've got the kind of the sadness in suburbia or the alienation in the the inner cities and those penumbral areas, the sort mm. of tower block districts, and that crops up in in the sad comics or the weird sad comics like Interior Eye, mm-hmm. and it, the 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 Neil Gaiman example I, I gave earlier. You've also got things like um, Supermarket and The Couriers and Tech on Concrete, um, which is kind of, and to an extent, massively transmetropolitan. The city in transmetropolitan is as much a character as by Jerusalem is. Um, where you kind of ratchet up the mad eclecticism and the craziness of the urban environment and mm. use that to offset even crazier happenings. Um, Tech on Concrete would be impossible without the city it's set against the kind of weird sprawl of decay and the shadow of opulence and the kind of I mean that makes it sound more like Judge Dredd but it's not but it's kind of like a, <clears throat> it's it's sort of a future Tokyo where everything's just got bigger and weirder and kind really. of gone to shit at the edges mm. um, going back to the kind of mythological gathering around certain cities the London sa- sadness and the Paris sadness and the New York sadness are all different they are all subtly, or in fact, non-subtly different sadnesses, mm. and they tend to... Parisians I, still miss the arcades. Well, precisely. And how much of that is... How much of that is people... How much of that is sort of cultural infusion? It's, you know, this is the way people write about sadness in London, and that is automatically going to inform my work, because mm. I have read about sadness in London as yeah, opposed to sadness yeah. in Paris, and how much of that is actually there is something about the cities that engenders them to particular types of misery. I don't know. I, I don't think a... it's a question I'm qualified to answer. No. There's probably also I, the, the notion that, really get at that but... cities, particularly the, yeah, the cities that people tend to write about the most, have sort of, they've not been built with any sort of plan. Mm-hmm. They've, they've just accreted stuff over the years. Whereas with the suburbs, they were built as somewhere to be happy, somewhere to be safe. Yeah. And therefore any stories told in them in order to be interesting are not going to be about people being happy and stuff. Does anyone does anyone mythologize suburbia in the same way so I mean I could you could rattle off for London. You've got sort of bits of um bits of the various Constantine stories. You've got mm-hmm. um things like Neverwhere or Kraken. 
um, you've got anything vaguely psychogeographic. There are various things in comics. I mean, from hell strays into it, but um, you know, does does anyone is anyone actively mythologizing suburbia in the same way that people queue up to mythologize? Let's face it, whatever the most known city is in the country they happen to be writing from. I don't know. I'm not familiar with anything that fits that bill in comics. But it feels like there should be something, even if there isn't, or there's something yeah. that we've ever looked. I mean, Gaiman's probably covered it at some point. He's bound to have given suburbia some kind of genius loci. But is this more of a thing in France? Is the kind of the sprawl of the Paris suburb somehow more nationally mentally affecting than the sprawl of Metroland for Londoners? Please stop calling it Metroland. I'm not going to stop calling it Metroland. For me, Metroland is glorious 30s posters promising me a bright and sparkly future that it can't hope to deliver with a semi and cockfosters. It's got a... <laughs> and we've all had a semi and cockfosters. Wellington <laughs> Crescent! Well, actually, so that failed promise for future thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of my great loves. Right, it's tremendous fun. Um... I'm familiar with it from from novels and from just the ambient culture. Any any comics cover it? Anything handle it particularly well? I'm I'm struggling to think of examples. Um uh, there must be bits of it in Alice in Sunderland. I've not read it. I struggle with a lot of Brian Talbot stuff. Mm. I Kill Giants is fairly suburban. It is, but it's focused on the mental health and the family issues. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very much a backdrop rather than a. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the focus. Does and it, you could say you could say it, that about a lot of things, but I very deliberately left I Kill Giants out of it because sure. the environment informs on it far less, I think, than with something like Ghost World, for example. Is there something to be said though for so we we've got plenty of examples of urban stuff where the city itself is the focus, or even mm. tantamount to a character. <laughs> We've not got any examples of the suburbs being mythologised in the same way. We have got lots of use of the suburbs as backdrop for other bad things or sad things that happen. Do the suburbs lend themselves conceptually much more yeah. to being the bland place? And the flippant analysis would say that, you know, that is their nature. They mm. are beige. Yeah. yeah. But they are cookie-cutter houses on little mm. cul-de-sacs and... Yeah, I think I, I can't really think of anything mythologized. I, Adrian I mean, Mole. Yeah, but Adrian Mole is kind of about the. Well, it's a little bit more working class, but it's more it's more mm. sort of a state, isn't it? Yeah, true. Um, true. Mm. But it's it's similar in that it's that uniformity of environment is kind of dehumanizing well, and people act out it's the scenes where harry's living with his family in harry potter mm. it's you know there's the if you've seen the first movie drunk or not with or without your father i think i saw the third one drunk was there a big panning shot over identical rows of suburban houses with identical ford yeah, focuses it's in the so front? depressing because i grew up in one of those houses with at one point two ford focuses outside one was the convertible foci dad was having problems <laughs> we we've basically just been been down into our respective psyches today and not really talked about comics. If any I'm if okay anyone from that. my family is listening, I would just like to point out that I have not committed any acts of character assassination towards you. Yeah, but you had a sort of, you know, reasonably happy upbringing. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, what was Sorry. that like? <laughs> 
Fine. Mm. It's made you the well-adjusted man you are today. I shouldn't have laughed when I said that, should I? I don't know. It didn't come across well. It's okay, you've baked a big cheese. I will have. You will have baked a big cheese. In the future, I will have baked. But by by the the time time these people people are listening to this this on the future radio... We will have consumed a giant baked calendar. We may indeed be dead from cheese. I bought vegetables. We're not going to eat them. But anyway, in summary, the suburbs are weird. But not weird Mm. enough to have quite congealed into fairy tales. But they make people weird. Yes. They're not weird enough to have constructed their own narrative, but they're the perfect canvas for people to construct their own narratives around. Mm. I reckon as soon as Haruki Murakami goes for them, then we'll be okay. He's done a lot of inner city weirdness. As soon Mm. as he goes for the suburbs, we'll start to mythologise them. Because we all follow Haruki Murakami and, and do as he said. He did ask you to stop. Do he did. <laughs> I just wanted. He just. He looked cold. I was trying to give him a, a little hat on him. <laughs> do, do we need to, to talk about the Arcade Fire record at this point? We the don't, suburbs. do we? Yeah. No. It's great. It's I much like better it. than the second album. Mm. Much better. Are they? Are they a young person's band? No, not even conceivably. No, they're clarinet jazz. You just haven't heard of them yet. You're not cool enough. Okay. You only listen to uncool clarinet jazz because you're a big nerd. You're, you're kidding, right? You haven't actually heard of them. He's nodding, folks. He's nodding. I would like to point out that he is a big nerd. I, I can't. I almost certain. I have heard of them. I almost certainly have heard their music. I just don't think I can name any of it. Fair. So. Intimation. We're all scared of the suburbs. I think that's fair. I Terrified. grew up there, and look how well I turned out. Right. <laughs> so when we inevitably all buy houses outside Slough, and, mm. you know... Eventually gas ourselves in our Ford Fokey. Yeah. Despond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to put quite convoluted meta tags on this, on, on this podcast to make sure the police look here when we all die in what could potentially be a suicide... Um, or a string of copycat that's a, suicides. That's a uh, yeah. Please don't. Oh, please. Why do you think I bought a Honda Civic? I wasn't talking to you. I was I deliberately looked at the microphone. You good, can do good. what you like. Thank I, you. I, we, we'd I, prefer I, you didn't. You feel know. no no compulsion to to control your sense of agency. Whereas I feel like if we're talking to people, we ought to at least encourage them. We are role models after all. Of course, and fine, outstanding members of the community. Yes. So in summary, in summary. Summarising the summary. Summarising the second summary, really. Yeah, possibly the third. Mm. Um, read Chris, Chris Ware. He'll make you sad, but he draws nice. He does. If you want to make art, this is probably a pretty good avenue to consider. People seem to like this shit. Or cul-de-sac. In that a lot of people seem to get stuck there. I wasn't just making a pun about types of roads. I totally was. I was doing you, that. You, you, you rescued it at the end. Of the, I think. I think people are going to be fooled. You pull it back. Well done. I think we should call it a day. Cool. Cheese time. Lamb Goodbye. casserole. Just glad Mr. Hart stopped wiggling his bottom. <laughs> <laughs>